Well, good morning. Have you ever been backpacking? I'm sorry, but if, 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 you, if you said yes to that. But I have been backpacking. Backpacking is this curious sort of sport where you climb at a pretty significant, sometimes steeper or lower, incline with a giant burden on your back for hours at a time. And then you sort of eat honey and locusts, you know. <laughs> I made the exceptional decision of going with people who were better climbers than me. So I thought my enthusiasm would carry me up the mountain. We start, I'm not kidding you, a few minutes into it, I wanted to ask, like a child, are we there yet? <laughs> I was memorizing a passage of scripture to help me about bearing burdens, because I literally thought, I cannot make it up this mountain. We've, uh, we've been in a series exploring the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, where Jesus preaches a message from a mountain. And his disciples, those apprenticed to him, climb with him, and he teaches them. He says things like, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And last week we studied, blessed are the merciful. That word blessed, it means you will be deeply satisfied. You are very fortunate if these characteristics describe you because you know that the kingdom is breaking through in and through your life. Today, we're looking at the sixth beatitude. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him. That's an interesting way to say he went up a mountainside. He climbed a mountain. Nobody wents up a mountain. He climbed a mountain. And then it says his disciples came to him. They climbed too. They climbed the mountain with him and he began to teach them. Who is he teaching? His disciples. The crowds, he saw the crowds. So he climbs a mountain, and those who are apprenticed to him, the committed ones, climb with him. And he teaches them, and he says this in verse 8, and here's where we're landing today. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now what's going on within us? is a significant, if not a preeminent theme throughout the whole of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Now, he's talking to church people, right? We already established. His disciples are the one who climbed with him, and here, these are the people he's teaching. So he's not teaching a crowd of people. He's teaching church people, and he's saying, hey, things like this. Some Christians think that it's okay to fight with your spouse, your sibling, your parents, as long as you don't murder them. And Jesus is saying, if you're my disciple, if you hate or have anger in your heart towards your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. He's saying, hey, some Christians think it's okay as long as I don't sleep around, whether I'm single or whether I'm married. As long as I don't sleep around, I'm being faithful. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to call yourself my disciple, if we look at someone who's not our spouse, and if we're single in the room, we look at someone who's not our spouse, if we're not married yet, and we want them, we've committed adultery in our heart. 
He's saying some Christians give money like this, but I'm telling you, if you're going to be my disciple, you got to give in secret. What's he saying? Jesus is saying, looking like my disciple and actually being my disciple could be two very different things. We don't want to deceive ourselves, he's saying. Appearing to be something and actually being something can be two very different things. This is a high mountain we're climbing here this, this morning. And you might be thinking kind of like me, I am not going to make it up this mountain. <laughs> well, you're in good company because this is what we're made for. We're going to look at three questions. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Why is it important? Why does it matter? And how does it happen? What does it mean to be pure in heart? Why does it matter? And how does it happen? What does it mean to be pure in heart? Jesus uses this word, clean, katharos, or katharizo, to cleanse, clear, pure, of one substance. Listen to this in James chapter 4, verse 8. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's this link. Now, James is picking this up from Psalm 24. Clean hands and a pure heart. They go together. Because usually if we're going to do something that's really unhelpful, it comes from our heart, and it usually comes out in our hands. <laughs> so he's saying, wash your hands. You've got to cleanse them. Cleanse your hands. Clean hands, guilt, guiltless, blameless, innocent. And then a pure heart. That word pure, what's he saying there? He says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, if you are double-minded, your heart isn't pure. In order to have a pure heart, we need to eliminate double-mindedness. It is a single-minded heart that is pure. To will and want one thing. Unless our heart is single, it will not be clean, says Augustine. And it is single if it serves one master without desiring advantage or credit. In his book, in Soren Kierkegaard's book, Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. He says, to will one thing means to have a pure heart. We need to will, what that one thing is, is to will the good, capital G, the good in truth. God and his good ways. You might be a Jesus follower in here this morning and think, I do, I want God, I want him the most. But there are a few enemies to us willing one thing, and I'd like to share a few of them with you. One of them is reward. We might follow Jesus and want Jesus, but we kind of want him to make sure our life is comfortable and we don't have a lot of tragedy or pain or suffering. So we want Jesus, but we actually want something else. That's two things, not one. Double-mindedness. Our hearts aren't pure. It's kind of like vision. We can't have one eye looking at one thing and one eye looking at another. It confuses sight. We're not designed for it. Pure heart wills one thing, the good in truth. What about this one? The praise of people. Now, if you and I are really intelligent and show a lot of self-control and you know, a lot of strength when we're under the scrutiny of others. And if we do that more than when we think we are unobserved, there's a risk that we are in this lie of simulating and not actually being pure in heart. It's kind of like this. Sometimes my kids, 
who are incredible. Sometimes there's arguments. And I will say, like maybe this has been said to you or maybe you have said, hey, how do you need to repair this situation? And sometimes my child will say to me, I need to say sorry. And I say, no, no. You don't talk about Bruno, no, no. <laughs> no, I say, you need to be sorry. Listen to this. Each person who is not more ashamed before himself than before all others. Now, this is kind of an older quote, you know, an older theologian, so I don't want to promote shame. But conviction. Each person who is not more ashamed, that's what he's saying, before himself than before all others, if he is placed in difficulty and much tried in life, if he's having trouble, will in one way or another end by becoming the slave of men. What does that mean? That means if I'm driving my car, and there's a discourteous driver, right, like comes right up at the bumper. You know how that happens. And then I sort of tap my brakes. And I do that with great satisfaction. And then maybe as they go by, I just give them a sarcastic wave or a thumbs up. Or maybe a different. If I do that, and because there's no one in the car, and because I didn't know the person, it doesn't bother me, I'm in trouble. How about this? Let's say I'm, actually, let's say you are driving your car. (laughs) You are driving your car. (laughs) She just said, I don't have a car. (sighs) If anyone over 16 is driving a car, Legally. And, and you have Aaron Stern, our lead pastor. He's in the car with you. And you have that discourteous driver come right up at your bumper, and you think to yourself, oh, cool, show some self-control. I can handle this. And you don't get, lose your cool, and you don't use any words, and you don't get really frustrated because Aaron is in the car. You're in trouble. You and I are living more for the praise of people than we'd like to admit and realize in those moments. Our heart isn't pure. It's willing to things. It's double-minded. Or what about this one? Fear of punishment. That's where it happens in our relationships, where we love people, we serve people, because we don't want them to get mad. We're not really loving them. We just want to make sure they're not angry with us. We just fear punishment. The one who fears is not desiring heaven for itself, but desiring to avoid punishment. Enemies to us willing one thing. What does it mean to be pure in heart? It means to will one thing, the good in truth, in truth. Second question, why does it matter? Why does it matter? I have two glasses here. And if I ask anyone to come up, you might come up and have and say, great, I'm thirsty, thank you. But if this one is methylated spirits, odorless, colorless, they look the same. Because something can appear to be one thing and be totally poisonous. 
Why does this matter? Our culture tells us, above all else, watch your image, right? Appear to be something. Maybe even appear to be authentic. (laughs) Make sure it looks natural. Whatever filter you use, make sure it looks real, right? Tells us, watch out for the way you appear. But if we monitor our appearance over our essence, we become pretenders, and we know it. What about this? Above all else, our culture tells us, Make sure that you do what makes you happy. Just do what makes you happy. Pursue pleasure. The problem with pleasure is if we pursue pleasure all the way to its nth degree, in excess, it becomes its opposite and becomes disgust. And every one of us knows that because we have negative coping habits. And when we pursue those negative coping habits, when we're stressed, it's a little bit more of this, a little bit, whew, feel, feel a relief. We know what it's like. We don't, feel, we don't feel comforted or proud of those moments. We feel a little bit disgusted because pleasure pursued all the way to its nth degree turns into its opposite. And what about this? Our culture says to us, guard your finances. Secure yourself. Make sure you have enough money so that nothing can happen to you. Like, put that guard around yourself, the 401k. Whew. How many of us know? Look around us. In a moment, it can crumble with an illness, a loss, suffering. Our lives can just absolutely crumble. How many of us have lost something and feel like we can't go on? It's a false security. That's why Jesus says, he echoes Proverbs 4.23 when he says, above everything else, you've got to guard your heart. Because everything you and I do comes out of it. Why does it matter? Everything in our life is coming out of it. It is not what a person does, but the intent with which he or she does it that is to be considered. My aim must be directed singly to things above, or I have a double heart. And no matter the outcome, even if I do something that helps somebody else or is beneficial to them, it is the way in which I have done it, not how it has turned out for someone else, that it is reckoned to me. So Jesus says, you are lucky if you're clean on the inside if you're just yourself, honest before God, if you desire him as one thing, you're lucky. This this quality, be pure in heart, is so excellent. It is so praiseworthy. It is so vital that it carries with it the steepest of rewards. No beatitude, no promise. In fact, in scripture, boasts the same reward as being pure in heart. And what is that? Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall See God. There is someone we have to see. Why does it matter? There's someone we have to see. Now, what does he mean? Are we going to see Jesus literally? Is it a metaphor? Is it figurative language? (coughs) Blessed are those who have left behind their preoccupation with how well they are doing and are simply captivated by Jesus of Nazareth, for they are seeing God. Augustine says we're foolish if we seek God with our outward eyes because he's only seen with the heart. John 1.18 says that Jesus, nobody has seen God, but Jesus has made him known. The only way that you and I can hope to grow into having a heart that wills one thing in truth is to see the goodness of God for ourselves and that goodness shows up in the face of Jesus Christ. 
there is a man who was, who was blind in Mark chapter 8. Verse 22, he's blind, and Jesus walks up to him. He takes his hand, and he walks him outside of the village. Then he spits in his hands. He rubs the spit together, and he wipes the man's eyes. and says, hey, can you see? Tell me how it is now. He opens his eyes. Hey, I kind of see people are sort of like trees walking around. So Jesus spits in his hands again, rubs his hands together, and wipes the man's eyes. Now, why did Jesus lead him out of the village? Jesus is not interested in the spectacular. Jesus cares about the dignity of this man. He knows that he's blind. That means in his day he was considered unclean. And people probably blamed him for being blind, that it was his own sin that caused it, even though that's not true. So he would have been kept out of the temple. He couldn't even worship. He was excluded from his community. He has experienced so much humiliation. And so Jesus isn't going to spit in the man's eyes in front of everybody. Because he wants to preserve his dignity and he wants to preserve yours. He wants to open your eyes to see the goodness, the purity of heart of Jesus without you being embarrassed or humiliated. Because Jesus isn't about the spectacular. He doesn't live for the praise of people. He's not like, hey, guys, watch this. If I spit in his eyes, he'll be healed. No, that is not our Jesus. That is not our king. And that is why we must see him. We got to see him, see the goodness of God. Because once we see that, it's transformative. And that will help us will the one thing in truth. Why does it matter? Everything in our life is coming out of our heart. Everything in our relationships is coming out of our hearts, and there is somebody we got to see. Thirdly, how does it happen? How does it happen that we could be pure in heart? A couple of things, not exhaustive, but helpful. And the first one is, I want to look at keeping our eye clean. Keeping our eye clean. Jesus continues in his message, and he says, the eye is the lamp to the body. And if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Now that word good, if your eye is good, it could be better translated single. If your eye is single, it is singularly focused, then your whole body, your whole life will be full of light. I want to look at what we choose to look at and how we see. Keeping our eye clean by what we look at and how we see. If we were living in the fourth century and we wanted to go out, it was a Friday night, and you're like, hey babe, let's go on a date. Where should we go? What should we do tonight? You would go to the theater. Live shows that would most probably be full of brutality, violence, and definitely over-sexualization. And so the Christians of the fourth century were like, should we go? Like, oh, I'd really like to go out tonight. I, I heard it was so good. Did you hear about that? I, I wanted to see it, but I don't know if we should go. Ooh. So they would ask their pastor. The pastor, John Chrysostom, 
who was the Archbishop of Constantinople, and they would say, should we go to the, the theater or should we not go? He'd say, look, I'm not going to tell you whether you should go or not. I'm going to ask you a question. And here's the question. If it is not okay for you to do it, why is it okay for you to watch it? I told you it was a steep mountain. <laughs> if it's not okay for us to watch it, why, why is it okay for us to do If it's not okay for us to do it, why is it okay for us to watch it? Every one of us in this room knows that we can't unsee something we've seen. You just can't unsee it. It's like, oh, and it's in there. It's similar with gossip goes in our ears, what goes in? And we're like, oh, I wish I didn't know that. We can't unsee what we have seen. If you're here this morning, I know that you've seen things you wish you hadn't seen. I know it because you're human, and I've seen them too. But we can decide today what we're going to choose to look at moving forward. And we can, tr- we can focus our hearts to see the one who is unseen. That word, when Jesus says the pure in heart will see God, it's not like, ah, oh, check it out, Beyonce and her, like, the hummers just went by, like, I saw her, I saw her. It's not like that. It would be cool to see Beyonce. <laughs> it's not like that. It's the kind of seeing that's with eyes wide open, for a prolonged period at something remarkable. It's the concentrated gaze of an astronomer. Wow. That's the kind of seeing. If you and I can seek to see the one who is unseen, he'll work on the places in our hearts, the things we've seen that we can't unsee. He'll work in healing into those places, work on our desires to will and to want his good pleasure, Philippians 2.13 says. we got to see the one who is unseen. We want to seek a pure heart. We need to pay attention to what we look at and how we see. What we look at and how we see. Now, here's the thing. This is really simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. Get the beam out of our eyes. Get the beam out. We stand before a higher judge where no man judges another because he or she herself is one of the accused. What that means is our prayers change from this. Oh, God, why is this person in my life? They are destroying my life. I know you said everyone is special, but they're like, oh, the wrong kind of special. Oh, God, Lord, my, my parents, Lord, my children, my siblings, I can't even, why are they like that? They're so mean, cruel. Like, oh, why do they make fun of me again? Our prayers change from that to this. God, I got something in my eye. I can't see the situation correctly. I know I'm not seeing it accurately. 
Will you help me get this out of my eye so that I can see what it is that's happening here? Augustine says that when we turn to him in prayer, there is a purging of the inner eye. And then we can see. If we want to have a pure heart, we need to pay attention to what we look at, how we see. Get our eye clean. And then we got to take the heat. Can you just look at somebody next to you and say, take the heat. You got to take the heat. This is a crucible. Proverbs 17, verse 3 says that the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Here we are gold. Looks like gold. (laughs) Precious. Valuable. Sought after by God. You can make a ring out of this. Just like this. You can actually form it into a piece of jewelry. The problem is, over time, the pits and the cracks and the inconsistencies, it won't hold up over time. And you and I will end up with disappointment. There is a refining process. Even though this is precious, it's fragile. And so we refine it to strengthen it. It's alloyed with other metal so that it can stand the test over time. Refining comes up to us in stress, in need. It comes in grief, and it comes in loss. And it's not even necessarily sent to us by God, but it shows up in our lives, and it often shows up through other people. We can just thank the people around us. Thank you for refining me. It shows up with the disdain of a spouse or the dismissal from a child, disregard from a boss. There's this refining that happens if we allow it. I want to show you what it looks like to take the heat. It looks like this. God, these decisions that I'm having to make, I feel like they're going to take me out. I'm afraid I'm going to ruin my life. This could define me, but God, will you help it refine me? Father, my marriage, God, it feels like a fire. I don't know if I can keep going. This could define me, Jesus, but will you help it? I have the faith to believe today that this could refine me. God, this loss, I know you didn't send it, but it's killing me. 
give me the courage to pray that it could refine me instead. God, this brokenness in the world. I don't even pray for Ukraine, Lord. I don't even care enough. I should, but I don't. Will you help me want to? I don't even have a want to. Will you help me want to, want to, want to pray? God, don't let this cold, apathetic heart define me. Will you refine me? Give me a heart like yours. And then we and then we can sing in integrity, refiner's fire. Oh, my heart's one desire. You close your eyes. It's to be. I choose God to be holy, set apart for you, my loving master, ready to do your of heart I know it seems like it's a steep climb this is what we're made for and the only reason it's possible is because Jesus climbed another mountain he climbed another mountain and those apprenticed to him his disciples they abandoned him Jesus was abandoned on Golgotha so that you and I could be brought close. He willed one thing in truth, and that was not by will, Father, but yours be done. He did that with purity of heart so that your and my double-mindedness could be made clean. Jesus climbed that mountain. So that we could see God. love does that? What kind of person does that? If you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, could I encourage you? Will you just pray? Open my eyes. Okay, if you're real. I'll take it. Open my eyes. I want to see. Help me see Jesus. Say yes to him. Don't wait don't wait another minute. Today, the scripture says, is the day of salvation. If you're a follower of Jesus here in the room, and you've been prompted today, I gotta say yes to Jesus again. Will you say yes? And pray that he would open this, open our eyes so that the blindness of our hearts could be healed and we could see God. We're gonna respond to him this morning by receiving communion together as a family. So will you stand with me? You received this on the way in. And if you didn't, for some reason, no problem, just put up your hand. Our host team is ready to make sure you have one. 
we practice an open communion here at Mill City, which means you don't need to be a member of a particular church. You can just be a part of the body of Christ. And if you said yes to Jesus just now, yes, I want to see you, yes. Take me, forgive me. If that was you, this is a great first step. Communion. Jesus infused it with fresh meaning. It was the story of the rescue of the people of God, the Israelites from slavery. And Jesus infused it with new meaning and said, this is, this is a new promise I'm making with you and I'm sealing it with my blood. That I'm gonna forgive and cleanse you, if you'll say yes, forever. Rescue you from slavery. I'm gonna read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. Let me go over this with you again, exactly what happens in the Lord's Supper and why it is so centrally important. I received my instructions from the master himself and I pass them on to you. The master Jesus on the night of his betrayal. He took bread and having given thanks, he gave thanks for it that bread of suffering. And he said, this is my body. Broke him for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's receive the bread together. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. He said, this cup is my blood. It is my new covenant with you. And each time you drink this cup, remember me. Let's receive the cup together. What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again. But we must not let familiarity breed contempt. Will you lift your hands with me? As a physical sign of our surrender, and our thankfulness. Father, we thank you today. We thank you. We lift high this cup of salvation. We lift high our hearts to you to say thank you for rescuing us. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice going to that cross and going in our place, taking the punishment that has brought us peace. We thank you and praise you today. Will you help us? Remember you and will you work in our hearts so that we could will and desire one thing Jesus that is your goodness and your good ways in truth this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ and for his sake <laughs>